Hello and welcome to the Tournament Poker Project. My name's John. And I am Tang. And we are two recreational poker players. And this is our journey to get good enough at poker to be able to go and play in the World Series of Poker. And not just good enough to go, because anyone can go who's got a bit of money, but we want to be able to go there and win, right, Tang? That's what we're doing. We want yeah, 100%. To, we we want, want to go and place. make it our own. Make it our own. We want to go and crush the tables. Um, my... Live bankroll at the moment is minus 80, so a very slight improvement. Um, and my online bankroll is £164, so it's it's creeping up pretty quick. It's creeping up. Where are you at? Uh, I didn't play any live, so I'm sticking at 190 which is all right. But I've gone the very much the other way uh, online. Um, I'm down to about $88.00. I had a bit of a, a run of bad form where I tilted hard and chased a couple of bad tournaments um, instead of just saying, OK, I need to have a break or I need to play some 25 cent tables to get the poker out of me. Went a bit hard. Fair enough. Well, look, we are not professional players. We are recreational, um, although we do take it pretty seriously. We've been studying, we've been doing hand analysis. So we're trying to get much better to a point where we are profitable players. But as such, as not being professionals, we don't know everything and sometimes we are going to get stuff wrong. So please, if you've got any comments, you know, we'd love to hear from you. Um, today we're going to be analysing a hand or two or, or just one hand that Tane's got for us. What have we got? Yep. So this is playing in the Poker Stars. Uh, for, for us, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. They call it the Mini Marathon. So it's a $4.90 plus 60 um, entry fee. So essentially a $5 multi-table. It had roughly a 1,000 runners. Um, we're up to level 14. So the blinds are 750, 1,500. You start really deep. The blind levels go up every 15 minutes, um, which, as you can imagine, for online is quite nice, quite slow. It's a really good tournament for playing you know get, getting your thoughts in really thinking about play you get a really long uh, clock if you if you need to think about something um but also like you don't have to seriously commit to it sometimes i feel that with online play especially if it's fast or the action's fast you you really need to sit there and make decision make decision make decision um and that gets too much when you plan for six eight hours it's too exhausting whereas this one you can chill out take it easy so i had good reads on the table that doesn't mean i was owning it um although i am second stack i believe um but oh no third stack sorry but i had good reads on players i i was picking up on things that i don't normally pick up on um it's, it's not the hand we're analyzing but the person who's sitting to the left of me i had a good strong read on some of their play whereby i've noticed where they were folding over past the flop, I was noticing what their action was to uh, continuation bets or check raise continuation bets um, and how that affected their play. It was it was getting good. I was quite enjoying it. Um, but then this hand happened and it didn't tilt me, but it it put it stopped me in my tracks a little bit. And I think I started losing not loads, but I started losing after this. So it weren't as good. Um, a bit, a bit of a spoiler alert there that we lose a hand. Then. <laughs> oh no, no, whether, whether we lose or not, it's not the case. Um, it's more okay. that I tilted hard, 
because I could I my lasting feeling after this hand was I couldn't work out what was going on um and it it, it baffled me a little bit um so yeah we're just going to run through see if you agree with my maneuvers and see what your reads on the very villainous villain um was so having a look at the table we are sitting in the cutoff um the player to the left of me but as i said was i got good reads on him most of the players at the table were fairly passive um I'm hoping that's because of the style of the tournament where people are doing the same as what I said, where you can you can have periods of intense play. And then if you've got a good chat stack, chill out for a little bit, maybe go away. Quite a few people kept sitting out for periods and you could take advantage of that. But for the most part, there was only one or two players that I had a little asterisk against where I didn't really want to be playing. And one of them sitting in seat three, which is the small blind. It weren't that they were necessarily good. It was that they'd done something that I gave me pause for thought and I had to work out what they were doing before I started dumping they, chips into them. They don't end up in the hand, do they? So we've, so we've got um, the villain. Well, yeah, the other one is Seek 6. So Seek 6 had done a few things where I was like, I don't overly want to get too involved with them. Um, it could be that they're excellent. It could be that they're just erratic. Okay. But I need to work that out. And unfortunately, this is a hand against one of them villains so yeah okay all right so see six so this is the under the gun plus one so he he pops in a little open there then um yep. so we're looking at 750 1500 for the blinds the pot to start with is 3600 so looking around the table quickly most people's m is sitting around the what's that 10 15 mark but there are some people comfortably on the the 20 and above i don't think the blinds had long gone up so most people were still playing the previous blind level you know where people were a bit slow to react um and the last blind level was was it 600 1200 um so i think people were mostly sitting closer to an m of 20 or more and were still quite comfy so no one had overly reacted and started being desperate um i'm sitting as the hero with ace of clubs seven of clubs not bad for our position so then the under the gun plus one is, is raised just a little just a little bit over minimum because it's 1500 on the big blind and he's putting 3150 so for all intents and purposes he's, he's basically done a min click raise yeah. um okay and what was what was the info on this guy did you did you he was just quite erratic did you say yeah, I'm calling him erratic because he was playing in such a way that seems to be quite aggressive, but not in not necessarily in the places that I would call it aggressive. It weren't. It could just be that he was playing exceptionally well and he was targeting exploits in certain players because this was what I'd noticed from him or her playing against others. So they could have just been targeting exploits and that looks unusual to me because i've not picked up on the exploits um but for the most part they're entering more pots out of position than most of the other nits at the table and it that could be half of it where they're reacting to that kind of yeah they're like oh, this table yeah. this table's nitty i'm gonna loosen up and, and play a little bit i wonder what he, i wonder what he thought of you was you playing quite nitty as well or or was you i was 
I was playing looser than I normally do. And I was trying to balance some of my nittiness with some other holdings. So I was probably playing, you know, if I'm if I'm usually only playing 10% of hands early, I was probably playing 15% and I was consciously trying to make up the other 5% with connectors or raising a very small pair that I'd normally just check call with to try to set mine but specifically raising in certain scenarios just so I just so I can get the extra percent and if it does go to showdown the people have seen that I'm I'm capable of doing that with the best of the hands and the worst so people probably saw me as quite aggressive not playing too many hands but playing in de- in, in various positions and playing strong Okay, Koki. So we've got this. We've got this open, and then you get three folds, and then, like you say, we're sitting in the cutoff on ace of clubs, seven of clubs. I mean, my, my first fault is let's just call this. It feels a bit risky to three bet. Um, you know, why go up against someone who you're less likely to know what his cards are? That's probably not correct. It probably is better to raise against someone who has been looser. But he's got twenty nine thousand left in his stack after his three three thousand raise. If we were to if we were to three bet that, we'd be putting in around nine thousand. If he then four bet, it's he's basically all in, isn't he? And it just feels a bit risky. I don't really want to be having to go all all in with my a seven of clubs. It suddenly becomes very sketchy kind of hand. You can't fold it. I don't think you can fold a seven of clubs. It's one of those suited aces that, you know, you could end up hitting a flush or it just it just feels like a call to me. What was your thoughts here? Yeah, exactly that. The thing that really stood out is there is seat six, the villains remaining stack, exactly as you've already pulled out, where my free bet range at this point probably is to about 10 to 12K. And he's committed at that point. He's putting all his chips in. Yeah, I didn't have any reason to think he would do that. But A7 is also not really the hand I want to be making that kind of risky play on. Given the slow pace of the tournament where I can afford to lose some of my chips, I can afford to lose the 10,000 by the river because I'll gain that back. But I don't really want to be donking off 30,000 on a ace seven clubs pre-flop I don't, I don't hate the fold either and that that sounds a bit nitty especially for a nitty table but this is the guy that isn't nitty um the villain isn't nitty so i don't hate the fold you know if a certain situations i'll probably or even if, if i was just not feeling it for some reason i might there might be something else in my mind about it and i might just fold that and i wouldn't hate that decision as well but it seems like it's cheap enough, you know. He's putting three thousand in. You've got you've got an M of like eighteen. Your your M's pretty good. You can you can play that. You can have a little have a little gamble at this stage, especially against a, a looser player. You know, like you might even win with your ace. You know, like a, a pair of aces or whatnot. Yeah, I mean that. Now you said it, that definitely factored in as well. Where I looked at the three thousand and I thought. I'm trying to work out this player. I'm trying to get more information on them. I'm going to pay 3000 check out the flop, maybe manipulate that a little bit and try to see how they react. I'm, I'm willing to pay that 3000 with what is a 
fairly all right hands for this position. Whereas, for instance, if that raise was done by a seat two, um, where I'm in the big blinds and they're making the undergun raise, I'd be folding that all day long. Even though I've already got an investment in the pot in the big blinds, that player, if they were raising, they were paying passive enough that they wouldn't have made that bet without basically a, a much better race. All, their, all of their holdings had me beat for the most part. So, yeah, all the same. So, the only, my only worry with calling is you've got three players after you left to act. And they're actually two of those. The, the small and the big blind are the first and second chip leaders in this, at this table. So they've got a nice, healthy stack on them. It would be prime squeezing opportunity, especially if they'd sat there and noticed that they're perceived as a bit tighter. The under the gun plus one is perceived as loose. And actually, you're a little bit looser than the other players at the table as well. They might see that as a good opportunity to to squeeze this and you know chuck in twelve thirteen thousand chips and just squeeze you both out of the pot. It'll be very hard for you to call that from someone you're considering tight. And equally under the gun as then you know classic squeeze. He's then got that to contend with the worry that he's beaten anyway. But also what is the cutoff going to do? What are you going to do? So uh, that is a worry. And and I wonder if GTO would say. This is a fold. Maybe. Sure. One thing to note on that is that I, where I tried to do a little bit more balancing, people had seen me call down, like not free bet, some good good hands. I'm pretty sure I had kings that then hit a set where people had seen me just calling what is quite a temp, a, quite a moderate bet, okay. uh, quite a small bet. But yeah. people had also seen me do the same manoeuvre with quite weak speculative hands. And they'd also seen me do some real strong raises, like I'd overbet aces in one position and then overbet twos in the same position. That, that kind of, I was trying my hardest to, anyone who was picking up on stuff would, wouldn't would wouldn't have a good enough read. So just seeing the call, I might have scared people off from a squeeze just because they'd seen that, they could be trying to squeeze aces and okay. we'll see. All right then. So you do call and we then get three folds. So the, the button, the small blind and the big blind all fold. So great. We, you know, we've got the heads up that we wanted and we're in position going to the flop. So that's a great outcome. Um, so you've got two of diamonds, king of diamonds, five of clubs on the flop. And villain checks. OK, this is great. I mean, being in position, this is this is good. Um, but what do we think his range is here then? My initial thought is, well, the two and the five aren't anywhere near this guy's range. I wouldn't have said unless he's got maybe a pair of fives. I don't think he would be raising a pair of twos with an M of... 10 or whatever he was on at the start. Pair of two seems a bit too weak. No, maybe not. But I'd, it would be more of an all-in, I would say, if you had a pair of twos. I don't think you could be playing it to play the flop. He could have a pair of fives in the hole. Um, really, though, I'm not too worried about that. I think the only thing to think about is how many kings are in his range. And there are there are quite a few. It's not the best card to have on the flop, but he's checked to us. 
So I think this is a bet. I think we need to bluff at this part. Yeah. One thing I will say, though, is nine times out of ten, I feel that I would have range advantage here. Not strong because that king is well within their range, but the rest of it could potentially be in my range. Ace five is definitely there. Ace two is definitely there. I mean, I'm not calling with five two. I could potentially be calling with king five. Unlikely, but I'm not going to rule completely rule it out. I'm definitely calling with twos and fives. Yeah, well, not definitely, but you've got got pairs of twos and pairs of fives, like as your whole cards. You know, pocket pairs, twos and fives. You've got way more of those in your range, I would say, than than he has. So the other thing is that me trying to work this opponent out was part of they they were doing things like check raising and they were playing a bit more erratically, so to speak, not not erratically tricky. So there was a, a part of my mind that said they'd seen how I've played enough that they're almost never raising in this position because they're going to be check raising in this position. And one of the things I wanted to work out was how do they respond to a check behind? Sure. So are we check are we checking behind here? Is this what is this what you're saying? We do, yeah. Cool. Okay. The turn then comes the ten of diamonds. I mean, I would say this is more your range than his. In the cutoff, you know, under the gun plus one opener. He's got some tens in his his range. He's got, you know, a pair of tens in his range. He's got pocket tens, isn't he? Yeah. Definitely. Um, but that's that's less significant. He could have ace ten. That seems a little bit wide to be opening with. No, oh, I don't know. It's difficult. What what I would if I was villain at this at this moment, and I had like ace ten or king ten, I don't think I would be raising that with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people left after me to act most of them in fact i think all of them have got more chips than me and the big blind is the chip leader i think it would be really sketchy to be raising with like king uh, opening pre-flop with king 10 or ace 10 that seems a little bit i feel like he's more likely at the moment to have a king if he's got anything he's he's got more kings in his range than he has tens yeah that's Sorry, go on. Yeah, I was just going to give a quick rundown. So for anyone listening, I'm sitting what was originally um, the cutoff. So I've got position with ace of 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 clubs, seven of clubs. The flop has come two of diamonds, king of spades, five of clubs, rainbow. Um, And then the ten of diamonds has come on the turn. So we've got two king, five, ten, and I've got ace seven so officially miles away at this point yeah but then potentially so is your opponent Uh, he's checked he's checked that flop and then he bets about third just under a third of the pot actually no a fair bit under a third of the pot near near a quarter of the pot so there's the pot was nine thousand nine hundred and he bets into that two seven seven two so somewhere between 
a quarter and a third of the pot. Okay, um, if he did have a king and was now protecting against a possible flush, he's going he's going way too small on his bet sizing. He's not protecting. He's giving the odds to call. Yeah. He's, if we if we have got two diamonds, but then he's potentially not doing that. It's you know not everyone knows to do that anyway, especially in a five dollar game. He may just be, yeah, I've hit my ten or. He may have had the king and decided, I'm going to check, see what this other guy does. Maybe, like, you're right, maybe he's thinking of check raising. And then the tens come. It's another diamond. He's thinking, well, I need to start getting some value. I've got ace king or maybe king queen, something like that. I don't know how loose this guy was. Do you think he's capable of opening even like king 10, king jack? That seems really wide. His opening percentages was not that. There was no one at the table who is, who's, who was raising, who was playing loose enough or cooly enough or trying to see a lot of flops to the point that in this early position with that low stack was making that kind of move. And that wouldn't even be a good balancing if they were just making that with a few other bluff hands. I wouldn't be bluffing with King 10. You get, you're getting blocked by anything that you, you kind of want to hit. So, no, there was very few players that I'd put on King 10 at that point. Well, I mean, what to do here then? We're, we're either folding, which just seems a bit weak. I think I would be re-raising this. I would be putting in a substantial bet that makes it a bet so big that he knows that if he went all in, we're very likely going to call, or at least he feels like we are. In reality, we, we wouldn't. But if we were to, he's got twenty, just under twenty-seven thousand left in stack. If we then put in a bet of say eleven thousand here, so almost a pot size bet, just under, or let's just call it pot. If we were to put in, you know, twelve and a half thousand bet here, that's an additional eight and a half, nine thousand he needs to put in with twenty-six left. Mm, he might feel like he could still steal it away with a bluff. So maybe we need to go more than pot. Maybe this is like a hundred and fifty. Maybe we've got to go big here if we're gonna if we're gonna actually take this away. It just it would just be a weird line to do that if this guy's savvy enough. He's gonna think, well, why did they check the flop and then and then now they're like going way over the top of me. The, you're only gonna be doing that with monsters or bluffs. So if we had a pair of tens, oh, you know what? If we we've got pocket tens in our range, and if we had a pair of pocket tens on that flop, we may well check behind, thinking he's being tricky with a king here, a pair of kings. We've got showdown value. Let's try and get to the river. So we may well just have checked that flop. The turn has come, the magical ten to make our set of tens even better. This guy's bet, you know, caught a third pot. A huge bet here could represent that exact hand, but I mean, you'd have to be pretty crap to <laughs> just worry that we've got that exact hand. Um, it feels hard for us to have a king now after checking that flop. It feels it feels difficult. Like, would we not would we not try to get a, get something out of it if we had a king? It feels like we can't have a king. 
the 10 no. we could we could we could definitely flag having a 10 and then it's a case of if he thinks we've got a 10 or we've just hit a pair of 10s then it's a case of either he's got the king and he can now value bet all in or he can bluff all in and i'm talking about sorry after if we do this pot or pot and a half size bet or he could bluff with his king uh, sorry he could now either bet with his king for value knowing he's got a speak with our pair of tens or he could bluff thinking he might get us off of pair of tens because there's the king on the board even if he's not got it he'd say he's got something like ace queen it could yeah it could be a good one to do ace, ace jack or ace queen he's got he would have the gut shot as well maybe he is Maybe maybe this is dangerous. Maybe doing a big bluff here is dangerous because he's got the opportunity to to bluff or value bet perfectly against us. I, I, if I was him, I would be thinking this guy can't have the king, and has either hit a ten or you know, yeah. I, I feel like we just got to fold this hand if I'm honest. Okay. One thing I was thinking with this with his line of action so far is I was certain he didn't have the king. Absolutely certain he didn't have the king. I deduced from the check and they're basically what I was looking for is someone who's got a king, maybe they've got ace king, and they're looking for a check raise. They've determined I'm the kind of player who's always betting. If if you if if you've checked to me, I'm probably going to bet there's a king out there. It's within my range. I've got range advantage. I'm probably going to bet. So they specifically check to try to get that check raise extra value. So when I then check behind and they're a bit surprised, they'll come out and think, well, I can't, I can't lose two streets of value. So I will bet on the turn. And I've still got ace king, so I'm not really concerned with what comes out. The board's disconnected enough that there's no scare cards for me. Um, there's yeah, there's nothing that could come out that is going to cause me any trouble so i'll then bet the next street fairly hard maybe not you know i'm not going to necessarily smash in all my chips but i'm going to at least bet that in this position for instance now there are gut shots now there are flush draws in this position i'm going to want to a make sure you're going to pay for that river card if you've suddenly picked up a draw and b try to get some value for top pair top kicker something like that so when they've come out betting piddly you know quarter quarter to a third pot the only thing that tells me is pro bet and when i'm looking at that pro bet it's either they've picked up a small piece of the board so for instance they picked up a two or a five which wasn't really in any part of their range but let's just say they picked up a two or a five or more likely they've got a pair of eights pair of sevens that pair of jacks that they're not too sure about with a king now i've checked behind they're like okay well if you've not got a king my jacks might be good here not worried about 10 i'm gonna put in a little pro bet see how you react it might not get a fold but if you just call it i am pretty confident i've got you beat at this point with my jacks you haven't got the king if you've got a 10 or anything else under that We've got showed our value. I might check to you and hope you check behind on on the river. Yeah, or if it comes off a complete brick, I might throw in another little bit. See if I get a bit of extra value now. I'm a bit more confident. But that to me says a pro bet. 
Um, All right, well, let's tell this this fucker you've got the king. <laughs> it's either yeah. a fold, it's because it, you, you could be right, it could be a pro bet. But I think it could also be he had it, was playing for a check raise, that didn't work because you checked behind. He's now like, oh, I need to get some value. So, and the fact that it could be either or says to me this is a, a raise here would be a risky play because some of the time he's going to fold, but some of the time he's going to put you all in and then you you can't possibly call. Sorry. So, should we see what you do in the hand? Okay. <laughs> You've gone for it. I love this. Right. So you've put in about ten and a half thousand chips. You've gone for the, I've got, you know, I've got, the, I've got it here. What are you? Yeah. What's, what was your thoughts here? What are you? What was you representing? On in this position, I, if I remember rightly, I specifically tinkered with this sizing. I might not have got the maths perfect, but I bet such an amount that they had no other option but to go all in if they raised. I couldn't see any point them just calling. They're folding anything but the hands they're most sure of because, again, they've got no value left. They've got no chips left to, to play with. So I'm probably going to be calling as well. So this bet size is basically saying to them, I'm, I'm raising you enough that I want to see what you do, but you can try coming over the top at me. But Again, that's not going to really achieve too much. I can't understand why you don't think I've got the best of it at this point. Um, there's there's other lines that they could take. Like if they have got the best of it, a call would be quite good. But it's that kind of, you know, see what happens. I, the bet sizing was quite specific. Whether I achieved what I think I did is another, another you know, something else to, to argue about. But my but yeah, it was also I don't want them to be drawing as though I have got something decent. They, yeah, it was leaving them with a, a tough decision. Not sure what else they're going to be doing at this point. Maybe I could have made it a bit stronger. And the only thing that tinkers with my minds now, I'm looking back at this, is a part of my reasoning at this point was I was happy to lose that 10 grand i looked at my stack of around 50 grand 50,000 i'm still pretty good at the table if that was maybe 15 20 grand um i'm all of a sudden becoming a bit short and i've invested a lot in not even trying to win the hand so, so he might have seen that weakness and he might have interpreted it as weakness so, but anyway. So, so just to recap then. So on the turn, the villain bets 2,700. And then our hero here with ace high goes 10,500. So around four times he's bet. The villain's got 26,000 left behind and hero with 51. And the villain calls. So the villain calls and we go to a river. And the river is the six of spades. Interesting. Okay, villain has checked. Okay, wow. Um, the villain has checked. He he's got show he's got showdown value. He just called, but 
he's not pushing for value. There's 30,000 in the pot. He's got 19,000 behind. He could just jam it all in here. And if you've got a 10, if you've got a weaker king, you would kind of be obliged to call. You put in another 20,000 chips, you'd still be left with 30,000 chips, which is approximately eight or nine M. It wouldn't be great, but you wouldn't be out of the game. You'd still be with a fighting chance. And, you know, this this guy here, if he's got nothing, I, ha- I mean, how can he have nothing? How can you call the turn? Unless he called the turn with the sole intention of jamming the ri- river as a bluff. Maybe he's so damn good at this game that he knew you didn't have a strong enough hand with your bet on the turn. And he thought, I'm going to call it and then I'm going to jam the river and I'll win this. I can't. I mean, that's that would be pretty awesome play. I think him checking here says he's got some showdown value, but he's not certain it's the best. He's he's scared to to bet for value. He's he's just really hoping you check behind and he can show his king queen, his king jack, something like that. Something that he probably opened a little bit wide with pre flop. That's what I think he's done here. You've got nothing. <laughs> so you, you're either kind of checking this and then I'm pretty sure you've lost. Or you jam. He's, I mean, his check here stinks of weakness or, or it stinks of I really want to see a showdown. I want to be able to flip over my cards and see my king win. We could deny him off that and and jam and you know we cut we cover him this would be the end of his tournament life if he's got if he's got king jack king queen we may be able to get him to fold although that would be that would be quite difficult because what are we really representing that we checked on the flop that we i guess we i feel like we're representing something like Pocket tens is all I can see it as. We're repping pocket tens. What else? What is out there? Unless we've got, mm, unless we've got the three four suited. If we had three four suited here, that would make sense. That we're like, oh great, we've got an open ended straight draw on the flop. Let's check it. The ten comes. He bets a bit. We decide to to bluff and then make our make our straight on the river the all-in could represent that or pocket tens so it's a very small part of our range that we'd be representing so we've got way more bluffs in our range at this point we've got loads of the aces we've got queen jack we've got you know if he has got that king and we're talking about trying to get him to fold that king we've got queen jack we've got quite a lot of tens in our range that he could feel like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go for this. If my king still wins. Oh, I hate it, but I, I feel like this is a, this is a check, and then just, uh, we've lost. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, like, go on. I was gonna say, I feel like, I, I respect your, you know, your big bet on the turn after he bet, a quite a small weak amount, and then you've, you've, raised it up to ten and a half, that really big bet. But I feel like he answered your question there. He called that. He called off like a third of his stack or whatever. Like he's not got nothing. 
he's not got nothing. He's got something here, surely. He's not that crazy to, to call that with the sole intention of bluffing the river with nothing. He's got he's got a king. He thinks you might have a 10. He's not sure. He just wants to see, you know, this is marginal hand to him. But going all in here, I think it's an easy call for him because there are way more bluffs in your range than there are hands that beat him. Uh, yeah, just one thing I'd say is that I think there's just a couple more hands in my range that I might do this with. Okay. Um, I don't know if that makes any head nor tail, but I think there are some of the other pairs that might possibly take my line. Pair of eights, pair of sevens, pair of nines, yeah. pair of jacks possibly. My call behind him pre-flop probably for my range, I wouldn't include jacks would include tens and blow but let's just assume i'm being a bit tricky or i'm balancing or whatever you know jacks aren't a million miles from him possibility and that kind of oh there's a king i'll check my irons you know they put out a piddly bet oh you know what my jacks might if they've just picked up a 10 my jacks are good so re-raise see what they do that was my line here I'm not going to mention my pot sizing, uh, my bet sizing. So I do bet, but I want you to tell me as the villain any thought process that you think has gone into my bet size. Because, again, I was very careful with my bet size. But maybe the only person who was carefully thinking about that or no, sorry, maybe the only person in the world whose reasoning made it that size is me and absolutely no one else agrees with my reasoning so that bet size is silly okay that's interesting so all right then so you bet quarter pot you put seven and a half thousand into a thirty thousand pot the villain's got nineteen thousand left behind so you put him in for you know coming up to half his stack not a million miles away it looks like the thing is, if if you're not analysing the rest of the hand, it looks like a value bet. It looks like a really like I've you know I've got something I, I desperately want you to call my seven and a half k. It looks like a value bet, but if if this guy is like a really kind of on it player, I think he would be just looking at the the action throughout the hand. And there are some hands that you know are monsters and that that beat him. But I think generally he's going to be thinking, no, this guy's got loads of bluffs here. Like there's a few hands that beat me. He might be actually thinking you've just made a clever size bet that looks like a value bet, but I don't buy it. I'm going to call you down. If he's got a king as well, you've you've priced him in to, to call it anyway. Even if he's like, oh, my God, I think he's, he must have a monster here. But he's, you know, I've got to see because he's only about seven and a half thousand. What was your what was your thinking? What was the what was the seven and a half for? Yeah, so my reasoning, and it was my sole reasoning at this point, was not so much that this is a value bet, but this bet size made it for me impossible for him to just call, because even basically it puts him down to about ten, twelve thousand. He's he can barely see the blinds which are coming up. There's just no point if you've got a hand good enough. You're shoving all in, at which point I might have just saved 
the extra 12,000 because I'll probably fold at that. Well, there's no probably I would be folding, but there's just no point. You know, what, what, what would you just call that with that you're not raising over the top with? Um, yeah, I get, I get what that, you're that, That's like, kind of, I'm inviting him to just shove the rest of his chips in. And the only reason I'd ever be inviting someone to do that is because I'm not, I don't, I, that's what I want them to do. I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand any, any reasoning for that size bet where it must be obvious to the villain that their only action at that point is to shove. Does that make sense? I, you, yeah. the yeah, risk no, of being, yeah, basically, yeah, the risk of being wrong with anything but a decent hand to shove with. So even if you're sitting there with a six, for instance, or, you know what I mean, a pair of nines, I think in that position where you've left yourself with so little, you can't just call that. You've got a, you've got a shove. And if you've got a better hand, then you're shoving anyway. I, that, that was my reasoning. That that was the bet I, size. You know now, what? I do, I do like it. I just wonder if that's that you're going to meet a lot of players that think, oh, it's only seven and a half thousand, <laughs> and I've got, I've just hit a six on the river, you know, like, or I've, you know, I had my fives all the way along. Well, I've got ace five, and I've had them all the way along. I'm, I'm going to call it down and not. I think there's, I think there's a, you know, a good amount of people that might just sort of think, oh, I'll just right. call it. I can't go all in because I've only got, you know, second from bottom pair. But I can, you know, seven and a half thousand is not as much as all in. They might, you know, there might be people that are clinging on in yeah. that way. So Fair can enough. we see what he does? Or did you have anything else to say before we move on? No? Okay. I, just because of the visual we're watching, I'm not sure if it immediately shows their cards, okay? And I really want to know your re, your thought process on on their action. So they just call. So it is oh, okay. just to confirm, like you you have already sort of said the the cards that they go through, but put put him on a hand now. Put him on yeah, a couple of hands. Right. If I if I had to guess, this guy's got king queen. <laughs> King Queen in the hole. He's hit his pair of kings. He was going to check raise the flop. It didn't work out. You've then bet. He's then bet the turn, but you've raised over the top. He's like, well, what was that? This guy's raised over the top. I've got King Queen, but maybe he's got Ace King or Trip Fives. Oh, I don't want to go out of this tournament. I'll just call that bet. King Queen really works. Even like King Jack, I think works. I suppose even ace king to some extent. That just feels a little bit too strong for. Mm, I don't know, but I guess it's no, it's not though. It's the same sort of thing, really. It's still just that top pair with a, a good kicker. I would struggle to put him on a ten, or would I? No, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it was just, I've, you know, if he's got ace 10 or queen 10, suited maybe. And the flop come down, he's missed it. He's just checked because he's missed. Then the turn comes. Oh, I've hit my 10. I'm going to bet a little bit. Oh, I've just been, you know, heroes just bet over the top of me. That's, Jesus, that's a big bet. I've got my 10s. So I've already put a bit in the pot. Maybe he's got that king. All right, I'm just going to call it. 
the river comes a six. Oh, he still he might have that kick. You know what? The more I talk it through, the more he's got a ten here. He's got ace ten. <laughs> ace ten. If I had to guess one. If he's got something like ace five and ace six, that's that's difficult to understand. How on the turn he could have called such a big bet with just ace five. If he's got ace six, then the turn makes no sense at all, like calling your bet. Because he didn't have anything, he just had ace high, the six. I'm gonna. I think he's got ace ten or king queen. Can we have a look? Yeah, but I don't think I can look at it. Like I just can't look at his cards. Ace queen. Ace queen. Oh my god. He calls me down with. Nothing more than ace high, which you actually did mention at one point. But I just couldn't fathom how someone gets to that stage, leaving himself with 11,600 chips with a bluff catcher is the best they've got. I wonder, though. And, and like I say, if I was the villain, I would be thinking you've got a lot of bluffs here. Like the way this has played out, you've got a lot of bluffs in your range a few hands that crushed me but generally it felt like there was just a lot of bluffs in your range and maybe thought well it's seven and a half thousand to to win thirty eight thousand there's all these bluffs in his range more so than there are big hands I'm I'm gonna chuck it in I mean it, it's crazy he's, you know he's, he's almost crippled himself if it doesn't work out but so it is either a bit crazy or He's just done a fantastic bluff catch. Yeah, maybe it was that the the bet sizing was to the just mathematically, I'm putting him on X Y Z range, and I'd be silly not to. I mean, the only thing that really bothered me about this, and the only thing that really I just couldn't get past, is every single scenario where I put that player excellent. I put that player. At absolute top quality they've literally read my read me for what i think is making some good moves i think that i am they're not necessarily great because as you said they're my range is a bit defined by some of what i've done but it certainly isn't i'm only doing this with absolute trash so maybe my i went away thinking my bet size on the end there clearly weren't good enough i like what you said about how when they've got quite a lot of bluffs in my range, they've kind of got a call. But we're getting sort of close to the bubble at this point. I cannot see how ICM tells you that that's a call. I cannot think of any pro would put their position at the tournament crippled unless they were certain I had a bluff. And there is absolutely no way you could be certain I had a bluff. My my play, this is new play for me. And I hadn't done it to anyone else at the table. I'd specifically changed my behaviour because of this. And they'd seen me play bluffs to other players. They'd seen me in places where I, I, I did have a fold. They'd seen me get called out on the ends. Yeah, you know I mean, there, there'd been enough play that they wouldn't have seen this kind of thing and thought, oh, yeah, yeah, this this is something he's doing with complete trash. Or he's doing it with... Well, we're doing it with nothing. Like, I don't... Considering... What am I calling at the back with? You know, I'm, 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 there's five different numbered cards out there. Playing this with, you know, 
Seven Deuce Off has hit the tube, playing it with any kind of connectors. That board is so disconnected that almost all connectors are in there. Like, I don't think I don't think on, I don't think you'd have been calling preflop with many twos. Oh no, sure, but it's more just the case that your your position in the tournament is such that you can't give someone a hundred percent bluff. There's no there's everyone's got some kind of variation to their game to their play that you can't be that certain. And leaving yourself so shallow in the tournament, but getting close to the bubble is not rational. The person who is good enough to do that is also the person who is good enough to move move a little earlier in the hand to either define what they're up against or at least get some fold equity. Because at no point has he tried to get fold equity. He's done nothing and he's called bets. So, like, well, on the on the turn. I think he was trying to get a fold, but it was also a, a semi bluff because there's there was two diamonds on the board and he had ace queen of diamonds, so he did have a flush draw and a gut shot straight draw. So any diamond, any jack, and he probably figured any ace and maybe even any queen because of the check your check on the flop with the king there. He might have felt like any ace, any queen, any jack, any diamond would complete his hand on the river. You know, any queens, there's three more of them. Any ace, there's three more of those, that's six. Um, any jack, there's four more of those, that's ten. And then minus the diamonds, you're talking about 18 outs. He, on the turn, calling that big bet, he, he had the odds to call, definitely, because he almost had... Is it a flip almost? You know, what did he have, like 18, 19, 18 or 19 cards he could hit that he thinks would probably make him win it out of the 45, 46 cards? He's got like 40% chance of ish, something like 40% chance of winning it. So he definitely had the odds to call. And then on the river, yeah, he's, you know, it's a complete blank. He's not hit his ace, he's not hit his queen, he's not hit that jack he needed for the straight, he's not hit a diamond. So he's kind of missed everything, and he's like, oh. And now he's thinking, you know, I've got to be beat here. But then you offer him that seven and a half thousand. It does cripple his stack, but he's already crippled his stack in the hand. He's already like, he started the hand on what was it like thirty six thousand or something? Twenty nine thousand. Twenty nine thousand, and he's just lost. He's already lost like over a third of Maybe it. Maybe a bit more. Yeah. What's that, mate? It might have been more than that, actually. That might have been after his first bet. But, 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 but he started the pot with... But yeah, it was 33,000, sorry. So it was after his initial bet. He starts, so he's all... Like, by the river, he's already... Like, he's lost so much. He's lost nearly half of his stack. And and the turn call wasn't terrible. It, you know, he he had the odds to call and, and make his flush, his straight, or hit one of his, his overcards or the queen possibly being good. So he had that, and then the river comes, and he's probably thinking, damn, you know, like, I've probably not got this. But then he's offered these this, these odds to, to make it a profitable, bluff catch, a profitable bluff catch. Had you jammed here on the river? I don't know. Maybe you'd have had to have folded that. Maybe. Like, given now we know what his cards are, maybe he would have had to have folded to a jam. 
because he's literally got ace high and can you bluff catch with just ace high are you that good you know you've got deep in the tourney you've still if he just folds it he's still got 19,000 yeah he's lost like 13 14,000 of his stack he's lost like 40 percent of his stack you know and then folds on the river and, and has to sort of let that go but he's probably thinking you know what though the M value is, you know, what, 3,900. I've got, I'd still have a, an M of like six or seven. I can still do this. I can still go. I think a jam might have got a fold. But only, yeah. only now we know he's, I'm not saying that was the right thing to do because we didn't know that he had ace high. <laughs> we thought he, I mean, I was convinced he had the king or a 10 by the end. Um, and then, no, like being convinced he's got a king or a 10, a jam, I wouldn't have felt like that would have worked at the time. Now I know what his cards are, a jam might have worked, but that's just hindsight. That's that's probably quite relevant. Yeah, no worries. I mean, I think that's helped because I'm trying to rationalise his thinking. And as far as I was concerned, I, I didn't have any problem with him doing what he did with the ace. It's I just couldn't. To be that good of a player, but also take that big of a risk. Like, I get that I was giving him, what, five, six to one? But that's nothing when it means that your ICM, you, you, he had to invest 40% of his stack. However, sunk sunk cost fallacy, if he doesn't have any concept of the, the chips you've better gone, you can only now make a decision based on your current chip stack, which is only 19,000. If he's thinking, oh, you know, what, look at all that investment. I can't just throw all that away for such a small, small bet here. I, you know what? Let's just call it. I might be out, you know, we'll see what happens. You never know. You never know. I'm putting him on a lot of bluffs in this position anyway. That does rationalise it for me that this is possibly not as bad a play if well it could be if i if i proper got into the icm this might have been a mistake of his but not necessarily an irrational one or it could be that i'm overstating icm i personally don't think i am when you're getting close to the bubble leaving yourself with uh what's the big blind uh big blinds 1500 and we're just about he's a couple of hands away and he's got you know eight big blinds that's you know terrible what why would you take such a risk why would you because it's not a necessary i understand the benefit of bluff catching i understand the beauty the beauty of knowing someone's got a massive bluff range but you in this particular tournament at this particular time the whole point of icm is that you don't have the luxury of a deep stack and you don't have the luxury of oh, that's all right i'll just enter another tournament we've been playing the tournament for like four hours you'd invested a lot of time a lot of effort you don't just on a whim say well yeah i think my ace is better than their ace let's just call it anyway and leave myself absolutely dogged for the entire four hour investment like i just i didn't see that whereas i do like the idea that this could have been a possible mistake trying to chase chips that you'd lost and this is the only way he was going to he knew that a shove weren't going to work and it was too high risk but the call did have enough value that he might be able to get some of them delicious chips back. Yeah. yeah and I yeah. weren't playing enough. He must know that, yeah. yeah. Like, 
I, I don't like the idea of being readable enough that someone feels a bluff catch is going to work. But I I would more at this level, especially only for five dollars, unless you've got a very good read of someone and you think they're an excellent player, but I know exactly what they're doing. I would always have an element of you've got this wrong. Does that make sense? Especially when you've got so much of an investment on it and you're you're you are not beating anything. You need to be very close to certain and there's there i don't think even the best players can be very close to certain at this level there's just too many players that like us know tons about one thing and absolutely nothing about another or are are trying maneuvers that they've that they're practicing but they're not trying the rest of it that you'd expect from someone who's got that in their their arsenal does that make sense so like he could for all he knows I am trying something which I think I've seen before and I've just done it badly or in the wrong position. And that was me playing a set mine and I didn't understand how to set mine properly. And I was just kind of, um, do I bet here? Oh, no, it's just called. um." So there was every chance that I could have had him smashed. I understand the six to one that they were getting, but leaving yourself with 11,600 chips is just, I just, I just I can't see someone doing that rationally without being more certain than they could be. Does that make sense? If you're, if you're that good a player, you're, you're, you're going to earn so much more from having 20,000 in your stack and working away at the people that you can get some chips off than putting in another 40% of your stack on a, on a whim. On a I'm wing sure, of prayer. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I agree with you on this point. Actually, I think when you're all right, he, he is a risk. He's going to. He's he's already knocked himself down to nineteen thousand, and he would knock himself down to eleven and a half making this call. But either way, he's pretty short stacked, and he's going to need a double up soon. So either he folds and needs to make a double up, not quite as soon, but soon, or he calls it and, yeah, probably needs to make even more of a double up very quickly. But with those odds, the incentive is if it pays off and he might have calculated there are more bluffs in your range than there are, you know, legitimate hands from the way it's played out, then actually... He's going to end up with what fifty six thousand. He's going to be well back in the game. He's going to have an M value of you know nearly twenty. This is kind of like a well. I'm pretty crippled, not crippled, but I'm I'm short stacked anyway. If I fold, I'll be a bit more short stacked if I I call. But if I call, I may well be well back in this. And actually. I I got respect I got respect to what he's done, and it might just be that he's crazy and he's just like oh I can't give up my ace queen because it looks so good, and maybe it is that, or maybe he's just like you know really thought thought it through to that level of this is this is potentially going to make me in this game is going to give me a chance to really get into the you know past the bubble or or ladder up or whatever. I mean but I wouldn't. Just having a just having a shorter stack than the short stack he's already left himself because of the flop and the turn. I mean, there are there is maths that could be done mm. compared to the odds that I'm giving him. So I was giving him 
he was having to make seven and five seven thousand five hundred to win thirty eight thousand roughly. So what's that? Five to one. So he's all he needs to put me on is well he'd need to put me on an eighty percent bluff range. Is that right? Because then the eighty percent that he's losing, uh, sorry, the eighty percent that he's winning. No, you don't. You'd only need to be bluffing twenty percent of the time for him to break even on that. Sorry, yeah, it's the other side now. Twenty percent. Um, and and just with the way the hand's gone, it that doesn't seem that doesn't seem unreasonable, and it is a bit of a it is a bit of a punt, but it's but then it's it this thing completely out of the question. But then this is it. It was never it was never the call. It was because that's just working out the value of a bluff catch, which in any other position, if we were deeper, that would have been a superb play. But I I, I personally think that investing 40 percent of your stack, because that's the other side. If we take it on face value, he's investing 40 percent on his of his stack um, on the potential that bluffs make up 20% of my range which they might have done they, they, I personally feel that even that figures not sketchy per se but it's how much do you know my play to be certain of that I don't think they'll have enough hands to show down that prove that they're going to be that kind of accurate especially when this isn't maneuvers that I've made before so some of the stats if they're using a HUD some of the stats that they're looking at will have no hand history for um so like free bets on the turn there probably was no other hand or at the most one other hand that they saw me do that and i guarantee it weren't with air um if if it indeed went to showdown maybe we could do the maths here why don't we do them like i know there's a lot of assumptions made but let's say well it's, it's more the icm that it goes with like Okay. Is it worth losing forty percent of your stack? And I'll be really honest, like leaving yourself eleven thousand six, what eleven thousand seven hundred, just shy of twelve thousand, and the what's the um, what do you call it? The um, I can't think of the name for it. The M value. Apologies for the the break there. So one thousand five hundred, seven hundred fifty, two thousand, three thousand. I mean, yeah, you're leaving you with an M less than four, three. So you are completely on a crap shot. You were at the complete mercy. And let's be clear, you're going to be under the gun in one or two hands. You don't even have the luxury of first person vigorous. You don't have the luxury of having enough chips that people are even going to want to fold. Mm. The other side of it, and let's be really... That's that's a risky. The other side, which I haven't even considered up to this point... You've just shown the whole table that you're you're going to do that with nothing. No one's going to respect that shove with twelve thousand left. I'll, t- I'll tell you what it does do though. No one, no one's going to bluff him. <laughs> no well, one's yeah. going to bluff him ever again. Well, because they're like, shit. How has he just called that with ace high? Basically, ace high queen kicker. Like, no one's going to bluff him again. That's for damn sure. Yeah. <laughs> but then someone's going to call him down with like seven deuce off and they're going to laugh if if they get lucky with him but he's, he, he, the main thing is that he's just he's left himself with no luxury um he he, he won't have enough hands to left to do anything with um 
another reason why I think ICM made this a bit of a poor choice. Like, how have you allowed yourself to get that crippled to then call it at the end when you're essentially betting 40% of your, you're betting 40% of any remaining equity you had in this whole tournament on a hope that you've got your percentages right and this person is on a bluff. How, so how far were you from the money? I'm trying to think. It weren't far. I don't, I, it might have been just after this blind level. It went up to the money. It might not have been. It might have been a bit further, like another blind level, but it was close enough. It's difficult to see how many players were left in at that point. In fact, I could probably tell you. So this was at... Does it? Or it doesn't actually say the time I was playing. I think it said on the other hand history that this was about half six in the afternoon. This was about five ten minutes before the bubble. So this was, uh, yep. Yeah, I was cooking dinner at the time, and then I had dinner at seven p.m. after I'd already gone out tournament, and that was, and I I made the bubble because I was getting quite upset about not knowing where the bubble was. So this was actually very close to the bubble. Now, let's be clear, it was a $5 tournament and the bubble bubbles to $8. So it's not like he's going to, ch- you know, he's going to be able to pay his mortgage off if he makes the bubble. But, there, you know, every, everyone has it. No matter how good you are, you've invested four hours into a tournament. You don't just throw it away like on, the, on, on, a, on a mathematically good play that's going to foul 80% of the time. That, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe that's where I'm leaking. I think that's what the pros do, though, isn't it? They go, well, you know, again, over an infinite number of hands, if this is a positive, um, positive, what do you call it? Not EV, is it? Not expected value. Yeah, positive EV play, then they will they will do it. If Especially if it's like that stage where, like, yes, the money must come into it a bit, but... Especially where, like I say, like I know he's, it's going to be particularly low, but he's going to be low anyway at 19,000. I'm not sure this is a clear cut stupid move, is all I'm saying from him. Oh, no, it possibly yeah, is. No. I think it could, it could be, it could be considered a pretty good move, maybe. So I was just going to say, say, just this is just for, just for our practice. If 20% of the time we are, completely bluffing with like we are with this a7 if 20 percent of the time his call would win him forty-five thousand, so that's plus nine thousand but 80 percent of the time he will lose seven thousand five hundred that he has to put in so seven thousand five hundred eight percent that is six thousand so the nine thousand that he wins minus the six thousand he loses it if the, those, you know, bluffing 20% of the time versus 80% of the time he is behind because we've got some sort of pair or something. If we're right in that, then it's a plus equity, a plus value play, plus expected value play for 3,000 because you do 9,000 that he would win and 6,000 that he would lose. Give him 3,000. I don't know if that's overly relevant because we're just guessing the you know, the amount of bluffs we've got in our range, but that's how we would do it. No, sure. Cool. I mean, I've just had a look. I finished higher in, higher than him in the tournament. 
<laughs> Not that it makes a blind bit of difference to anyone. We both both cash for the same amount, but it makes me feel better that yeah they they didn't do anything useful with them chips that I gave them. So maybe they maybe this was it. We we're giving him way too much credit. It's yeah, so nice definitely. to look at their cards and really deduce the, what could be an excellent play, and yeah, then yeah, yeah. some the the players sitting at home thinking this is my hand. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to kick fold and I accidentally pressed the space bar. <laughs> I mean, that's all it was. I was folding all day long and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> I was just playing speculative the entire time. That you never know. That was a, a great hand to read. I love that one. I hated it, but I loved how yeah, much sure I disliked hated, it. I'm sure you hated playing it and getting called by, uh, you know, like what looks like an amazing bluff catcher. Yeah. But you can understand after after seeing that, and after being completely like, how how could you do that? How could you ever do that? Yeah. Like, why yeah, why are they kind of, I kind of tilted out of the tournament. It weren't. I mean, yeah. if you look, I've still got forty three thousand. I'm I'm all right around the table. But then, you people would have been able to feel my shaken confidence in some of the moves, and I, I haven't gone back and properly analysed, but I I should. And I guarantee my bet sizing wouldn't have been as strong. My frequency of betting would have gone down. The hands that I was strong on, I played to win, not to get the most value. Little things like that, because I just needed a few wins, not I needed to extract as many chips as I can at this point. It sounds like you need to read, like I do, a book called The Mental Game of Poker. because. I don't know exactly what it's about, but I reckon it's about this kind of stuff, about just resetting every hand, start again and not letting it, basically not letting yourself tilt. About, you know, playing and getting closer to the money and the stakes being, you know, all the, the prizes being really big, but just being able to play it cool and play your best game of poker and, and play it to win or or play it to minimum cash if that's what you're playing it for, whatever. but. The mental game of poker, I want to read that. I think that's definitely, you know, early on like we are in our poker uh, journey. It's yeah. probably a good one to read because we're reading a lot of mathematical stuff. We're reading a lot of um, different views and different theories. But maybe one on just looking after our own mindfulness during play would be a good idea as well. Yeah. I mean, one thing I've, I've always given myself pride and credit that I rarely do go on tilt. So if I get a bad beat, I, in, I, I, I've got myself in such a way that I actually enjoy it. Like, I don't know if you've ever heard me playing live, but when I've got a bad beat, I immediately say to everyone, well, what would I have rather? I've, I've got it in with the worst of it. No, no, I made the right choice, got it in with the best of it. And that variance is what we love. Like if that variance didn't exist, we wouldn't play poker. So I need to lose these hands because I'm going to win the rest of them when I've got it, you know, statistically speaking, we're good. And I'm, 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 it's not me lying to myself, trying to rationalize what feels bad. I genuinely have no problem with a bad beat. It's just like, oh, you know what? I had the best of it. Like, I, as soon as my cards go over, I've got ace king, they've got ace nine. I'm like, well, great. I've got the best hand. I've made the right decision. They've hit their nine. All right. Doesn't matter. Well, you're a better man than me because when I get bad beat on, especially if it's my tournament life, I'm just like, oh, 
No, of course. I mean, uh, you know, an hour later, I'm like, you know, that is just the game. And I'm back to like buzzing about poker and, you know, I love the game and I want to learn it and learn it and learn it some more. But yeah, no, I definitely have an emotional reaction. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> as the stakes get bigger, as I'm sure they will as we go on, there's going to be there's going to be broken mice. There's going to be laptops thrown across the room. There's going to be poker chips flying. <laughs> <mate>. <laughs> and of course, my, my tilt is like this, where something happens and I can't, I either can't rationalise it or I get a real bad feeling of I've been, I've been found out and some of the things that I felt were good plays are now all of a sudden bad plays. And they might be obvious to people. And oh dear, I don't know. I can't. I can't make any. Conf- I can't make any moves at, at any point anymore because I need. I can't work out if they were ever good, and I, or if they were bad moves that I got lucky with, or they were good moves but only against rubbish players. And now I'm out of my depth. Does that make sense? That kind of imposter syndrome that someone can really shake your confidence. Yeah. I suffer that massively and until I've got absolute confidence no martin you were doing the right thing right there sorry tane people do people even know my name's martin <laughs> i've never even thought that before but tane like unless unless i'm certain of my chain of chain of action so for instance if i've got ace king in this position and i'm betting every street then i've it, it won't make a blind bit of difference if i've walked into a monster because I, I i'm fully aware of my actions i know the right moves and my exactly what i've done and if i've walked into a monster I've already told myself that doesn't matter in this position. I will pay off someone who's got a pair of fives. That's fine. I'll take that because the times that they haven't, I'm winning. Um, but when this happens and it's like, what are you doing? When you're playing against a drunk person who in one or two hands, you think, no, you are good. You do know what you're doing and you seem to be aware of some key things. But you're also playing like a moron and you're also talking like you're an idiot you're also playing every single hand that, you know, and it feels uncomfortable and every single hat pops getting raised and people are putting in far too many chips. And I can't work out if that's because you're superb or because you've just got enough muscle memory to play certain bits good and the rest of it is lost in drunk. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That And that, that throws me so much. Um, it's really but- exploitable as well. Yeah, I can relate to it. It's almost like you 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 build up this system in your head of you know what's right. You, you, we're working out you know the correct way to play more and more and more. And I'm sure we're still a long way away, but we're we're getting better and better at that. And when something comes along or something happens that just completely breaks the whole belief system, it's it is devastating. And but I think that's again the mental game of poker. It's accepting that as you become more versed in what is considered correct, you start to think you can beat the game at all points. But unfortunately, there are going to be people that just completely throw all the rules out the window or do something completely different to what they've been doing before. And it's going to catch you out. And whether they've been clever about that or whether they've just got exceedingly lucky or, you know, it's it's either way, it's going to it's going to be irritating. You're going to lose chips on that occasion. But you can't let that become your whole belief system. It can change your belief system a little bit. And it can change the way you approach certain things. But you've still got to keep on that path of learning poker and learning 
the way to, to crush the game. And all of those, you know, that variance is just that, you know, it's just variance. It's just sometimes people are going to be doing stuff you don't expect. Sometimes people aren't going to be what you consider playing decent poker or, or kind of good ABC poker. And it's very difficult. And it's all just part of it. We just got to kind of expect that. Sometimes it's going to mean we go out of a tournament and it might feel very unfair. And that's, again, it's all about this mental game of poker of just accepting that those things happen along the way. Yeah. I think the thing you've highlighted for me saying that is I don't practice enough. So these spots are, they're not familiar enough for me to be able to rationalise it. If this was the 10th time someone had bluff catch me this month, I I wouldn't have any worry and lack of confidence. It would be, okay, saying in my games, letting these people walk all over me with absolutely nothing. If I never saw that bluff catcher again, but I was playing thousands of hands, I'd be like, either that player is an absolute genius or more likely at $5, they've made a bit of a mistake and they're trying to clutch at chips that they shouldn't have um we'll try, see try, try and do it the other way like and, and these are good things to write down they say like you should always write down when you bad beat out on someone else you know you when you get lucky but uh, it kind of works with this this what we're talking about as well because there's been times when we've got to the river and I'm like oh my bottom pair didn't improve or, or like my middle pair didn't improve I'm gonna bluff I'm gonna turn my pair of eights into you know a bluff bet big, sit there going, please don't call, please don't call. Oh, the guy calls. And he's got a pair lower than yours and you win the hand. <laughs> that that happens as well. That shit happens. Like where, yeah, you've got these bad plays coming elsewhere and it catches you out and you lose chips. But sometimes <laughs> you, you win a load of chips because someone makes a terrible, terrible call or, you know, it goes the other way and it's we've got to remember those times you've got to write those times down it's like when you know when you've got lucky you're you know you're going behind but you luck out and you you double up because you've you know rivered a rivered a straight or, or you know hit a, hit a set on the river or whatever you've got to write that down you've got to remember those because it's easy to remember the times when it hasn't gone so well and you people have been bad beating against you yeah no yeah and i do i I do try to remember them. Sometimes I, I multi-table um, some spinning goes or some fast action games. Um, and you can only have four tables open at once on your mobile. And I'll I'll, I'll push all in and I'm like, you know what, I'm never going to win this. Um, or they call it on the flop and I'm like, okay, well, I'm out. And I'll try to open another table and it's like, you can only have four tables open. I'm like, oh, right, okay. Oh yeah, I've got double the chips. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happened because I'd already given up on the hand, and I'm like, oh, that that couldn't have been good, poor person. Um, but yeah, it is just trying to keep your eyes on it, trying to remember the wins. Often, everyone's got a bad beat story. Sure, I think it's half the game. It's it's yeah, you might learn mathematically how to crush the game, but if you don't learn how to to ride those waves, you know, without sinking, then, yeah. then it's, you, you're going to sink. I mean, something I was just thinking about today, and I haven't properly developed it, but it is very much along the, the mental side of the game that I 
I've not really heard in podcasts and it might be I just need to listen to more podcasts or read more books. But would you in a tournament, specifically in a tournament, not cash, would you in a tournament knowingly lose a hand and lose chips with the best of it because you felt that that would mentally influence that player and you could take advantage of that to a greater profit? Maybe not losing a load of chips, but I have folded a couple of times to make a player feel like they've got a hope in hell of, of folding their way into the money or, or folding their way to a better position. Or um, I think it works well in heads up. Like if if they seem way too passive and you're kind of crushing them down, let them have a, you know, fold a couple, let them feel like, oh yeah, it is okay to fold. Look, he's doing it as well. And then they'll carry on folding like 90% of their hands and suddenly go all in. Hmm, I wonder if I should call. No, I'll fold that one. I'll, I'll, I'll do a couple of folds, even if they're pretty good cards, just because, you know, he needs to feel like it's OK to fold constantly. So in a, in a way, I, I know what you're talking about. It's just I, I probably don't do it. I probably wouldn't like give someone a, a really good amount of chips. I don't think I've done that. No, yeah, it's more, in my mind, it'd be more, I don't know, 5% of your stack. So it's not a significant amount, but it was in a position where there might even be some additional value that you knew you could have got as well. So it could be potential earnings that you're not realising by not continuing with the hand. But that person, you you know the way they play and you know that they need to have a win against you to feel emboldened to keep playing maybe far too loose at you yeah okay does that I mean, make sense that, you that's yeah that sounds that sounds like a really clever play i mean I, I don't think i've done that but i can see where you're going with that yeah definitely no i mean i've I've certainly considered it and that's what made me think of it i i love that kind of us sitting especially it's mainly in live play where i see people week in week out and there are times where i feel okay i know exactly what you think my image is and if i keep pushing you you're going to suddenly plug something that i don't want you to plug so certain players that we know that play very tight play only a small range but they if you keep every time they raise and you're pretty certain they're doing it with a pocket pair if you pre-bet them every single time they will adjust and you don't want them to do that so you'll specifically lose something that you think is probably going to win in this situation because that exploit's too valuable to you. Wow. Tane, that is, I don't think I've thought on that level, if I'm honest with you. That's pretty, that's cool. Oh, like, well, I've definitely thought that against someone we played against. You could probably work it out. Um, it? No. <laughs> but that kind of, I don't know enough. I know, I know certain weaknesses you've got, but that one pays me more. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to yeah. push that button hard. Okay. Definitely. All right, any final cool. thoughts before we wrap this up, Tane? No, apart from if I ever see that player walking down the street, I'm going to trip him up. <laughs> All the hair. Or, or trip him over the, the book, The Mental Game of Poker. Yeah, well, I might just get a pen and write, get a pen and write, fold ace high <laughs> on his on the reds. It's going to kill you, man. It's going to kill you. Thanks <laughs> a lot, Tane. It's been a, a fantastic session. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for your insight. It's brilliant. And thanks, um, thanks for all our listeners. We hope that you're enjoying it and you're learning as much as we are. And, um, well, hopefully we'll see you in Vegas.
Yeah, and certainly if you <laughs> if you've listened back through this hand and you feel you 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 know the, the 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 we're missing really obvious things that are like are you kidding me? Yeah, Your bluff range is a hundred percent. You please idiot. Tell us. Please tell yeah, us. Yeah, you know, push that button. Press that. Press that reply. Get your exclamation marks in the chat. Well, look, best of luck at the tables, everyone, and um, see you next time. Take it easy. Cheers.